Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, I'm Pastor Aaron. I'm the co-lead pastor of New Philadelphia Church. Uh, I pastor with my husband, Pastor Christian. And uh, it's Women's Ministry Month. Uh, I know that Pastor Myunga was here last Sunday. She kicked it off here at Itaewon. And so I'm here to take the baton and run for this week. And I'm really excited to give this word today because I believe that this message is specifically for all of the newcomers. Okay? Those of you that have reservations about fully committing to a church, this message is for you. This message is also specifically for the members of the house who are under leadership via small group or community group, or if you're at Emmaus Familia, this message is for you. And this message is definitely for the leaders of the house, whether you're reserve, active, apostolic, I don't care, this message is for you. Are you guys all ready? See, today what I want to talk about is I want to confront a major demonic stronghold that's in the church today. And that seeks to rob you and I of our blessings. See, I don't know about you, but I don't like getting robbed. It's not a good feeling. I'm from New York, and so it's a given. I've been robbed before. You know, my parents back in the day, one of my first memories of getting robbed was when it was a little bit outside of my grid. We were very young, and uh, we had an Oldsmobile station wagon. So I don't know what you guys know. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but... It's like a long car, and it's like a very old, ugly hatchback, okay? It was an Oldsmobile station wagon. It was red, and it was terrible looking, but it was awesome, and it was our car. And I went to church in Queens, New York, and so there I were in Queens, New York, and, like, everybody in our church got their car stolen, including us. It's just every week someone got their car stolen. It just happened all the time. And I remember when we went outside, and our car was not there, Can you imagine? We got another station wagon to replace that red station wagon. This one was beige. And it also got stolen. And so it hit the point where the church congregation was like, we can't do this anymore. And so we hired a man to watch our cars. And we had a church sticker that we put on the the back shield of the, the car. And the guy would walk around the block, the perimeter of the church, periodically, and would check up on all the cars that had that sticker. See, getting robbed isn't a, it's not a good feeling. I remember getting, my husband and I, we got robbed. I like to say robbed, but really we got our, some of our money stolen when we, on our honeymoon. We were out in Bali, Bali, Indonesia. And we think, we're not even sure what happened, but we think it might have been the money exchangers or even we went scuba diving and they gave us these lockers where we put all our belongings. And I don't know, all I know is at the end of the day, when we counted our money, we were missing some money. Yeah, I know, right? It was our honeymoon. It's okay. We had a good time. (laughs) And we became, you know, all these instances where you get robbed. No one likes that feeling. I don't know if you guys have stories of being robbed. Maybe you didn't. But if you ever get robbed, what normally happens is as soon as you get robbed, you all of a sudden become a little bit more paranoid about your stuff. You hold your bag closer. You make sure everything's zipped up. You make sure that your wallet's not in the back pocket, but it's in your purse, in the 
inner compartment of your purse, zipper it outside of the purse. Like you just know how to start to protect your belongings. You know, especially if you go out on a touristy area, let's say you're traveling in Europe and you're out to see the Sistine Chapel and you're looking up, you know, people have like wallets that they put under their shirts. You know what I mean? To protect their money. Like we have learned to be experts about protecting our material belongings. You know, when I go to a hotel to stay for the night, we make sure that there's a little safe and I, we make sure to put our passport or things that are of, of utmost importance in the safe before we leave or, you know, if we were to go out to the supermarket or whatever it may be. You've learned to take these certain precautions to protect your belongings because no one likes getting robbed. But here's the thing. Even in today's church, guess what? There's spiritual robbing happening, happening all the time. We are constantly getting robbed of our joy. We're constantly getting robbed of our peace. We're constantly getting robbed of our clarity. And today, I want to talk about making sure that you and I stop getting robbed. How does that sound? (laughs) We come across spiritual thieves like discouragement, fear, bitterness, doubt. And we unknowingly participate and getting robbed by leaving our belongings unprotected. See, joy belongs to us. Peace belongs to us. Clarity belongs to us. These are things that Christ has purchased on the cross that we may live in. It is our possession. Now, you would think someone is a fool if they went to the Sistine Chapel and just put their wallet, you know, under their armpit here. I mean, that's just dumb. That's like rob me, you know, just asking for it. If someone were to put $1,000 in their back pocket, you know, and you find out that they got robbed, but they were in this high, you know, traffic area, most of us would just be like, dude, that was your fault. That's your bad. It was your decision to, you know, carelessly put things that have high value in unprotected places. Well, guess what? You and I are responsible to protect the belongings that we carry as believers, we are responsible to make sure that those things are set in highly secure places. Amen? You know, I don't know about you guys, but I love certain TV shows like CSI, like NCIS, Law and Order, SVU, Criminal Minds. I just love shows where they catch bad guys. And I love it where it's like the whole show is figuring out who was the bad guy. Like, you think it was the wife, but it was the housekeeper, you know? Like, I just love watching it. And people think it's weird because, you know, you see bodies get cut open and everyone's like, oh, that's disgusting. Meanwhile, I'm like, who did it? Who did it? Who did it? And I just love, I'm obsessed with these shows. I love them. There's something so satisfying about figuring out who the bad guy was, convicting them and making sure that they get locked up. I don't know about you guys, but that's satisfying to me. Is that satisfying to you guys? Well, today I want to get all CSI on you guys. And we're going to talk about a criminal profile. You know, in all these shows, when they talk about the possibility of who did it, you always talk about criminal profiles. You figure out names of possible suspects and and what their agenda might be, what their motives might be. And you figure out who's the one that did it in order to successfully lock them in jail and make sure that they can't hurt any more people. Well, today we're going to successfully figure out the criminal behind one of the top robbers in the church. 
I'm going to give you a proper criminal profile. You guys ready? I wish I had those like, um, you know, the cursor, like the green, like name with the, anyway, I'm not that tech savvy. So we didn't get that far. Okay. The name of the thief that I want to specifically talk about today is critical spirit. And this particular critical spirit, see, critical spirit can manifest in all sorts of avenues and ways. But the critical spirit that I want to talk about today is specifically in regards to spiritual leadership. A critical spirit towards spiritual leadership. And this criminal's main target is everyone in the church. From the newcomer to the seasoned leader. And the main mission of a critical spirit, especially in regards to your spiritual leadership, is to establish God's people in rebellion and insubordination in order to take you out of covering and to destroy you. I'll say that again. The mission of a critical spirit, especially in regards to your spiritual leadership, is to establish you in a place of rebellion and insubordination in order to take you out of covering, to take you out of protection so that you can be destroyed. And the main modus operandi is he uses deception to disqualify your leaders in order for you to feel validated in not submitting to them. See, the critical spirit wants to disqualify the leaders that have been placed above you in order for you to feel justified in not listening to them. Oh, you see that leader? Yeah, I know that they said to do this, but, you know, I know some things about this leader. I've noticed some things about this leader. It's purely to disqualify the leadership so that you will be in a place of rebellion or insubordination. I'm not going to listen to them because they don't know what they're talking about. Why? So that you can be pulled out of covering and easily destroyed. See, a critical spirit is no joke. And in fact, in many churches, it thrives. It's so easy to be critical, isn't it? I mean, we all, we all swear we're critics. We watch a movie and we're like Siskel and Ebert. We come out saying, you know what? That movie didn't have this, this, this. This wasn't realistic. We go on the train in the subways of Korea. We secretly Instagram photos of people's outfits. We post it on Facebook and be like, I can't believe so-and-so wore that. You know what? I, look, half of y'all did it in this room. I know. I'm your friend on Facebook. You know, we criticize one another in the way that we speak or in our actions. You know, we can be such critics sometimes. And yet, especially when it comes to criticizing your spiritual authorities, you better believe that its main intent is to destroy you. Now, I know that you guys must be thinking, she's preaching this message because she's a spiritual authority. Yeah, I'm your spiritual authority, but guess what? I'm under authority too. And this message is something that I bear witness with because I've struggled myself to refrain from having a critical spirit against those who lead me. I have 
my spiritual covering, Pastor Benjamin, Pastor Sonny. I have my own husband. Lord have mercy. Help me, Jesus. No, I'm playing. But in any marriage, in any marriage, it's such a temptation as a wife to become overly critical of your husband. And so I understand the weightiness of this message. And I want you to understand, I'm going to go strong here. I'm going to come off really strong. But the reason why I'm coming off strong is because I'm tired of seeing the church get robbed. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to point my finger at you. I'm just here to expose what's going on because enough is enough. You should keep your joy. You should keep your peace. You should keep your clarity. And I want to make sure that no longer are we just going to let it go and put such valuable things in our back pockets, unprotected, easy for the devil to steal. So we're going to talk about the critical spirit against spiritual authorities. And I'm going to talk about a little bit of how it could look like. All right, a couple of thoughts that I could look like. The first thing is, the first deception that comes in is my leader has too many weaknesses. Remember, we're talking about disqualifying your leaders, right? Well, the first temptation, the first deception that I want to talk about today is the thought, my leader has too many weaknesses. See, when you see the faults of your leaders, you're tempted to disregard their leadership in its entirety. A critical spirit wants to point out all the inadequacies of your leaders, give us reason to feel like we shouldn't submit to their counsel. I mean, they don't know what they're talking about. You may notice that your leader doesn't have a seminary background. If we have problems with that, we can talk after service. Your leader doesn't have much experience in ministry. Maybe your leader is brash or easily angered, often frustrated. You can pick that all up. Maybe your leader is not well-spoken, does a poor job communicating their thoughts. Maybe your leader is poor at follow-through and is constantly starting things they don't finish. Your leader is not sensitive enough or they're too sensitive. Your leader doesn't listen and talks too much or they don't talk at all. I mean, you want to talk about nitpicking faults? We can sure do it. It's easy to take criticism, look at your leaders and begin to point out, well, they don't do that, 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 that. And begin to allow the devil to convince you that all of those things have made them disqualified to be a person to speak into your life. See, my leader's not good enough. My leader's not smart enough. My leader's not patient enough, not loving enough. My leader is not enough. That is deception number one. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27 to 29 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Did you know that God purposely uses the foolish? He purposely uses the weak. He purposely uses those with inadequacies. That's God's modus operandi. He chose the youngest son of seven older brothers and anointed him king. 
He chose that same boy as a teenager to defeat a giant named Goliath rather than trained, highly skilled warriors in the Israelite army. He chose a woman named Esther to save a whole generation of Israelites from genocide. A woman. And she was an orphan. He chooses what the world considers to be weak, lowly, despised. That's how God rolls. See, your leader has too many weaknesses, you say? Well, congratulations. The right person has been put in its rightful place. Why? Because it's through your leader's weaknesses, God's glory and his power is shown. It's through their inadequacies that God's glory, his power can reach into your very own life. That's how he works. The second deception that I want to talk about that a critical spirit against your spiritual leaders will say is, I know better. I know better. I love this one. This is a good one. Not only is your leader lacking, but you actually have a greater knowledge of scripture than your leader. You guys look at your small group leader and you're like, seeing them struggle to find where Colossians is and judging them, you know? I'm already here. Some of you feel like you have more ministry experience than your leaders. Yeah, you know, my familiar leader, my community group leader is great and all, but I'm coming from a church where I was a leader for five years. They're brand new. Or maybe you took a couple of theology classes in college and you think, now that you got a couple of lessons in theology, that you can out-argue any of your leaders when it comes to deep theological truths. Oh, see, I know better. If I bring this subject up to my leader, they don't even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's convicting you guys right now as I speak. You look at their decisions and you shake your head in disbelief because you sure wouldn't have done it that way. Why are they leading small group like that? Why are they praying now? We should pray after. Why, why are they talking like that? Why are Pastor Aaron's messages so long? Why does Pastor Christian dress like that? <laughs> if I was leading this small group, if I was leading this small group, everybody would have been healed and delivered by now. If I was in charge, then I'd know exactly what to do in this situation. But why is it happening like this? Why are we doing announcements like that? Why do we have to have leadership banquet? Why do we have to have furnace? I know it all. It's the I know it all attitude. I know better. Watch out for this attitude because it is destructive, folks. We can laugh about it, but let's be real. There are some times where we think some things, don't we? It's so dangerous. Because when we start thinking that line of thought, what happens is you begin to have thoughts like this. I can't grow under this person. I've reached my limit. They're holding me back. If so-and-so was my leader instead, I probably would be prospering, but not with this leader. The moment you start thinking like that, man, has the devil caught you. Let me just tell you, if you hit a place where you feel like you're not spiritually growing in this church... And your first inclination is to accuse your leaders for holding you back. You are under major deception. 
This mindset is only reflecting a heart issue, not a circumstantial one. So you've convinced yourself that if you move churches, if you get a different leader, or if Pastor Aaron and Pastor Christian preach better, you'd be growing more, and that's completely false. You've embraced a critical spirit. And in the place of teachability, you've allowed pride to enter your heart. And life does not throw your what? Life does not flow through pride. It flows through honor. See, like I said, I'm not here to condemn you guys. I'm here to open your eyes because too many people in the church are blinded when it comes to this. When you tell yourself you're not getting anything from the messages that are being preached, you're not getting anything from the small group material or your leadership pastor is not giving you good advice and you start blaming your leaders with your own heart, you got to realize that something got hardened along the way. You have allowed the critical spirit to rob you. Why? Because when you begin to think along those lines, all of a sudden you're shifting blame from the right culprit to your leaders. I'm not growing, not because of the devil. I'm not growing because of my leaders. I'm not growing because my leaders are not good enough. My leaders don't know enough. My leaders are not smart enough. And all of a sudden you're robbed of all of the blessings, all all of the seeds that are so flowing into you. It's like you're just judo blocking everything with that attitude. There's nothing more wrong about someone that's wrongfully convicted. You know, like when you watch like a CSI episode and like they catch somebody and then like it shows at the end, the last 10 seconds, like they were innocent. Like, you know, that feeling wrongful conviction. It's just the justice inside of you just rises up, doesn't it? What that person is innocent. Can I tell you on behalf of all the leaders here? That a lot of times when you convict your leaders for certain things, you convict them for the lack in your own life. I'm lacking this because of my leaders. You have wrongfully put someone in prison. The true culprit is not your leaders. It's not your small group leader. It's not your lead pastor. It's the critical spirit. It's a critical spirit that's trying to rob you, but it's time to get the right culprit in jail. It's time to get the right person behind bars so that you and I don't have to be tormented with the bitterness that comes from a critical spirit. It's that idea. My leader has too many weaknesses or I know better. Or the last one that I want to talk about in terms of deception with a critical spirit is I'm more gifted or I'm gifted too. See, I'm more gifted in pastoring. If that was me, I would have pastored this way. And it would have been so much better for that person. Or I'm more gifted in teaching. I obviously express my thoughts more clear than my leader. Or we have the mindset that I can hear God's voice too. I'm gifted too. You know, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Why don't you guys turn with me there? Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. is a story about Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Miriam and Aaron, verse 1, spoke against Moses 
because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Okay? Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Now, Moses was the leader here. But Miriam and Aaron, they were no stragglers. I mean, they were leaders themselves. See, Miriam was the sister of Moses, but she was the prophetess. And Aaron, he wasn't just uh, his brother, but he was the high priest. These are people that had significant positions when it comes to the shepherding of the Israelites. However, the authority of the main leader, the main shepherd, went to who? It went to Moses. And watch this. What's interesting about this passage is Moses marries a Cushite woman. He marries someone that's not part of the Israelite community. And the reason why Miriam and Aaron are even pointing it out is because God actually warned against doing that. He actually encouraged God's people to marry within God's people. And warned them not to marry somebody that's foreign because with a foreign wife comes foreign gods and foreign this and foreign that. Things that have nothing to do with the Israelite people. And yet here's Moses, the leader, and he marries a Cushite woman. And so honestly, the accusation that they have against Moses, it's true. He did something that maybe God may have not necessarily been so excited about. And so what Miriam and Aaron do is they begin to criticize Moses. In the ESV, it says spoke against Moses, but in other versions of the Bible, it says criticize Moses. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman that he married. You see what's going on here? All of a sudden, as they criticize his decision, they feel like that has disqualified Moses from being a leader. See, these are people that were gifted. Miriam heard from the Lord. Aaron heard from the Lord. Moses' core leaders, you can say. Their accusation wasn't false. It looks like they have a real point. And they might have been right in assessing what happened, but the spirit that they were operating in was completely wrong. See, criticizing Moses was out of order. It was completely out of order. You know what you do when you criticize a leader? You put yourself in the judgment seat. You climb up on a self-made pedestal. You put yourself in the judgment seat and you begin to accuse. You know who the accuser is in scripture? It's the devil. And we begin to operate under that same accusation mantle. And we begin to accuse our leaders as we stand so proudly on the pedestal. And even when what we have to say is right or true, what Moses did was wrong. When my leader did this, I don't agree with it. When my leader did that, I don't think that was the best decision. When we begin to say things like that, regardless of whether or not what they did was right or wrong, the fact that you criticize them is out of order. Yet what gave Miriam and Aaron the audacity to speak against Moses? What made them feel like they can criticize him? Well, it says in verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? The reason why they felt so confident about criticizing Moses is they felt like, well, you know what? I'm gifted too. I've been used by God too. I'm a leader too. You have to be so careful because sometimes it's not as blatant as this, but the critical spirit can work so subtly and creep in 
into small areas of our life and just blossom. And I love what it says right after. It says, the Lord heard it. When you criticize your leaders, the Lord hears it. Whenever you speak against your small group leader, whenever you speak against your familiar leader, your community group leader, your pastors, whoever has a spiritual authority over you, whenever you begin to criticize and complain, God hears it. Oh, but what if it's true? What if what they did was wrong? Well, this was the situation. What Moses did wasn't necessarily pleasing to the Lord, was it? However, what did the Lord do in this situation? He calls Miriam and Aaron in with Moses, and he speaks judgment on the two of them for speaking against his chosen one. And this is what God says. Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant? God says, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant? He says, there's something missing here because you had no fear. You had no fear when it came to criticizing your leader. Why were you not afraid? What is God saying? You should be. You should be. Why? Because when you speak against your leaders, you speak against God. See, they banked, against, they banked on their giftedness and used that to overstep their authority and cast judgment on their leader. And it was still completely out of order. When you say things like that, my leader has too many weaknesses. I know more. I know better. Or I'm more gifted or I'm just as gifted. Or I'm gifted too. When we have these mentalities and we use that to begin to disqualify our leaders, something is wrong and deception has come in and you and I have to do a better job protecting our minds. These are three major deceptions. And I say that the deceptions because even if they're true, even if your leader is lacking something, even if your leader has certain inadequacies, even if your leader, maybe you know more than your leader about a certain area. Maybe you do have more ministry experience. That could be a valid thing. Or maybe you are more gifted in, in being more loving or being more hospitable than your leader or being more patient. Maybe you are more gifted. But it's still a deception. Do you know why it's a deception? Because those things do not qualify a person into leadership. By saying that this has disqualified them, you are saying that what qualifies someone to be in leadership is strength, is knowledge, and is gifts. Strength, knowledge, and gifts. And if your leader is lacking in any of these areas, they're disqualified. That's not how it works. Why? Because what makes a leader qualified? It is the calling of God on their life that makes a leader qualified. That's why all of these, even if they're true, is still a deception. Because when you use those things as an accusation to say to yourself, therefore, I will not submit. Or therefore, I will second guess their advice. Or therefore, I'm going to take some time to pray about some of the stuff they said because I don't trust them. Even Jesus himself came as a qualified man through his father. The disciples were qualified because Jesus chose them. See, Jesus didn't have a competition. It wasn't like American Idol 
You know, the next 12 disciples of Jesus Christ were thousands and thousands of people lined up and tried out and had to test being walking on water or setting people free or let me hear you pray. Let me see if you're good enough to be my disciple. What qualified each of these disciples who were all unlearned men was simply the fact that Jesus chose them. It wasn't their knowledge. It wasn't their strength. And it definitely wasn't their giftedness. What qualifies the elders of the early church were the apostles who chose them. Pastor Christian is qualified as a lead pastor. Why? Because Pastor Huang, who oversees him, chose him. I'm standing here as a co-lead pastor. Why? Because my husband, Pastor Christian, elevated me to be a co-lead pastor. See, none of this was self-elevation. I'm going to elevate myself. I have the strength. I have the gift. I have the knowledge. Therefore, I'm going to be a leader. Now, nobody was elevating themselves here. They were chosen. Your familiar leaders, your small group leaders, they didn't elevate themselves to be in that position. They didn't say, guess what? I'm going to be your small group leader today because I said so. No, they were chosen by a leadership pastor who was chosen by Pastor Christian and myself. Do you understand what I'm saying here? What makes a leader a leader is the choice. It's God's choice not the qualifications of man. And we have to understand this because it's this area of qualifications according to worldly standards that tries to allow the critical spirit to come in. Romans chapter 13, one to two says, let every soul be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who will resist, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Why does the devil want you to question your authority? Because if he pulls you out of the covering of authority, you bring judgment on yourself. What happened when Miriam and Aaron got confronted by God? was Miriam got hit with leprosy. The devil didn't give it to her. Who gave it to her? God hit Miriam with leprosy. Why? Because she spoke against his chosen one. There are real consequences that happens when we carry an attitude of criticism towards our leaders. And I want to make sure that we don't make allowance for that in our house. And I'm not telling you that your leaders are perfect. I'm not telling you that I'm perfect. I'm telling you that they're imperfect. But it's not their perfection that qualifies them. It says here in Romans 13, what did I just read? It is God's choice. God has appointed each of the leaders that are above us. So what happens? Let's play this out. These are three major deceptions. What happens when we fall into these deceptions? The first thing is we start to complain and gossip. Moses and the Israelites is like a perfect example of that kind of paradigm where the Israelites constantly complained about Moses, their leader. You know, when we read the, you know, Deuteronomy or when we read numbers or the, the account of Moses and the Israelites, we tend to think, man, the Israelites were fools. Why would they fall into that? But you got to understand where they were coming from. It was a real temptation. Can you imagine Moses going to the top leaders of the Israelites saying, listen, God spoke to me and he said, he's going to set everybody free from the oppression of the Egyptians. 
Everybody cheered. Yay, that's fantastic. And the next day, Moses goes up to Pharaoh, pleads his case. And Pharaoh declares, man, they're acting like this because these people are bored and they're lazy. And he doubles the work on the Israelites. And all of a sudden, the quota to make bricks is doubled. It's, it's a portion that the Israelites can't even do. And they're getting beat by the Egyptians because they can't fulfill that quota. Can you imagine what it was like for an Israelite during that time? Here's this man that said, we're going to get set free. Meanwhile, when he came into the picture, life got harder. You can see the temptation of why they might have thought, I don't know if this guy's for real or not. Or even in the wilderness, after they had that whole spiritual experience of crossing the Red Sea, and they're getting ready to enter in the promised land, they've encountered all these different things. God has worked in such supernatural ways, but then they begin to get hungry and thirsty. And here's the guy that said, I'm promising you a land of flowing with milk and honey. And they're starving. Can you understand why they might have questioned his leadership? Man, we were eating better when we were slaves. I don't know about you. There was a constant temptation for them to question Moses' leadership. And not only did they question it, but they criticized it. They murmured against him amongst each other. And that is one of the most terrible things you can do, is to murmur against your leader. You know what that does? You sow seeds of rebellion. You're sowing seeds of witchcraft when you begin to murmur against your leaders towards one another. Oh, but you, you're just venting. Oh, you're just sharing a prayer request. Oh, can you pray for my leader because she's an idiot? Can you pray for my leader? Because, oh, when he said this, this was terrible to say. Oh, can you pray? You know, oh, yeah, you can package it whatever way you want. But if it's coming behind a critical spirit, you better be careful with how you speak. Because God hears everything that you say. Complaining, gossiping. Even Miriam and Aaron, they were the example. And what happened to Miriam? She got hit with leprosy. I mean, that's gangster. God doesn't play around when it comes to his anointed ones. The second thing that you might be tempted to do is contempt. To have contempt or to withdraw. Now you begin to turn to other people who fit your standard of leadership to give you advice and counsel. Yeah, thank you, small group leader, for that that counsel. But I'm going to talk to so-and-so. Because I know that so-and-so is more anointed than you. And I know that what they have to say is going to be better than what my leader has to say. It sounds like very bad. And and some of you may feel like, who does that? But trust me, we do that. We're tempted to do that. Or you might think, you know what? The past messages from, you know, Pastor Aaron or Pastor Christian, they haven't been that good. So I'm going to make sure to go online and check out my favorite podcast and listen to my favorite preachers and get spiritually fed. That sounds good, but it's wrong. You know why? Because your substance should come from here. I'm not telling you you can't listen to other messages, but I'm telling you that if that other messages becomes your main line for food and nourishment, something's out of order. Other messages should only be a supplement, not a replacement of the word of God that leaves this house. Even someone like Pastor Benjamin, he's my spiritual father, but he's not yours. And you think, man, he's a powerful preacher. I'm going to listen to all of his messages. But when his messages begin to cause you to treat our messages with contempt, something's wrong. 
I remember at the beginning of this year, I got a rebuke from Pastor Benjamin. And he had a dream that kind of exposed the fact that I was listening to all of PB's messages religiously. And in actuality, what was going on was my attitude was that Pastor Benjamin knows I can respect Pastor Benjamin more than I can respect my husband. That was the attitude that I was carrying. I'm going to receive more nourishment and breakthrough by talking to Pastor Benjamin than I am Pastor Christian. Now, it sounds like it shouldn't be that bad. I mean, he's my spiritual father and all. But something's out of order when you treat your other leader with contempt. You understand what I'm saying? I was honoring Pastor Benjamin, but at the expense of dishonoring my own husband. And something is very clearly out of order. So that got exposed. I didn't even realize I was doing that. But as soon as he mentioned it, I was like, dang, I'm guilty of that. I've been criticizing my husband, looking at him. I was like, why would you say that? Why would you do that during the messages, putting my hand, you know, like stressed out? And all of a sudden, just treating his words with contempt. And I blocked the flow of life that should come from him into my heart. And so Pastor Benjamin was like, for a season, I don't want you listening to my messages. Can you imagine? I was told not to listen to his messages for a season. And the only way I can listen to his messages is if, we're, if Pastor Christian told it to me. So I had to go up to my husband and say, Hun, what was preached on last Sunday at PB's? What was the message? Can you give me the word? Give me the word. Give me the seed. What was going on? And initially, I felt rejected. I felt hurt. I was like, why? Why can't I listen to your messages? Why would you say that? That's so bad. Until I realized, man, something is not right here. And, and just him stopping me from listening to his own messages, it just exposed a whole plethora of issues and lies and deceptions that I was experiencing in my own marriage. I realized, man, I got to repent because I've been dishonoring my husband. I got to repent because I've been critical of him. I got to repent because I've been so easily pointing out his inadequacies and pointing out the things that I think he needs to change that I've been not allowing his words to minister to me. And I needed his words to give me breakthrough. Contempt and withdrawal. When you start treating your leaders with contempt, you begin to withdraw from them. And when you withdraw from your leaders, you begin to withdraw from wisdom. You begin to withdraw from clarity. You begin to withdraw from protection. Complaining, gossiping, contempt, withdrawal, disobedience. Hmm. Yeah, your leader tells you to do one thing, but you know what? You decided, actually, I'm not going to do that. And your basis is because you're not qualified to speak into my life in that way. Irregardless of the position that they hold, you judge them by worldly standards. You judge them by qualifications. And you say, I'm not going to trust what you have to say. Oh, you see, my small group leader doesn't know much about the Holy Spirit I, you see, I come from a ministry back at home where the Holy Spirit was very powerful. And so I'm a little bit more familiar with the Holy Spirit. And so when they say things like that, I just (laughs) ignore them because I obviously know better in that department. 
Or no, my small group leader never did drugs or never was addicted to, you know, substance abuse or whatever. Therefore, when I tell them my problems about addictions, I can't trust what they have to say because they can't understand me. They're not qualified to. Or my leadership pastor never had a boyfriend. So how can my leadership pastor who never had a boyfriend give me relationship advice? That makes no sense to me. They're not qualified. Let me tell you something. You know what qualifies a person? It's the very manifestation of God within the leader. It's the spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit that qualifies a person. Did Jesus ever do drugs? Was Jesus ever promiscuous? And yet, do we ever say, Jesus, you're not qualified to, you know, talk about my problems because you... So how can you hold that against your leader? They don't know what I've been through. They never had an abortion. Their parents didn't go through that. They didn't have to go through verbal abuse. They don't know what I'm talking about, but I can talk to this leader because they know that you better not get it twisted. If the Holy Spirit is within your leaders, which they are, no matter what your situation is, whether they were in it or not, they can totally speak into your life. They can totally have the keys to your breakthrough. And yet we use these as an excuse to disobey. Don't go out with that guy. Well, you know what? You don't know much about relationships, so. Thank you for your advice. I appreciate it. So blessed by you. (laughs) And you go out on a date with the guy. Disobedience. The moment you do that, you step out of protection. You know, we talk a lot about submission in this house. It's not about just being submitted. It's about staying in submission. And whether you become a member, a leader, a seasoned leader, there's always temptation to walk out of that submission. We have to guard ourselves. We have to protect ourselves just like we have to protect our money, just like we have to protect our belongings, just like we have to protect our passports when we're traveling. We got to protect our minds against these deceptions that the devil wants to throw at you. Complaining, gossiping, contempt, withdrawal. I say withdrawal wrong. Withdrawal? (laughs) Withdrawal? Withdrawal. I'm like, withdrawal? (laughs) Contempt, withdrawal. Dang it. (laughs) Skip over that word. Disobedience. And the last thing is confrontation. Let me talk about confrontation. Oh, we want to confront our leaders. Why? Because we need to help our leaders out. Because they don't know that they don't know anything. I need to let my leader know that what they do is not right and that what my, I want to suggest is actually better. Or I want to confront my leader because how they said this to me was hurtful. I want to confront my leader because I need to let them know that this, 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 this. It may come from a a, a real, you know, a genuine hurt. It may come from something that is sincere, but watch out when it comes to confrontation. When you approach your leader about anything, you better make sure that your heart is not coming from a place of pride, but from a place of utmost humility. Humility would allow you to see so much clearer because pride blinds us. When we confront our leaders in pride, it's out of order. Now, this is going to sound wrong, but hear me out. You don't have a right to confront your leaders. Especially those who don't even who are not even faithful to the church to confront a leader out of order. 
Someone who doesn't even listen to their own small group leader, wants to confront a pastor, is out of order. It sounds weird. It sounds like, oh, but, you know, then are they untouchable? No, because your leader is under leadership. And if there's anything worth confronting, their leader will confront them about it. And if you have to confront your leader, I'm not saying you can't, but if you do, check your attitude is what I'm saying. Make sure that your heart is in the right place. Because if you go in guns blazing with accusation, listen, you're going to be robbed of clarity. It's funny about confrontation because so much of what you want to confront your leaders on is not even true. It's perceived. Perceived injury. Yeah, I got to confront my leader because they don't care about me. I got to confront my leader because I think that, I I believe that they're thinking this about me. I got to confront my leader because they're holding me back. It's just so much stuff that's not even true. It's just perceived. You know, when we hear about people coming in from other churches, can I be honest? I'm just going to be real with you guys. And the reason why they left their church was because they had problems with their leaders. And the first thing they want to say is, yeah, it's because I've been abused by leaders. I'm very careful about how I handle those situations. Because often what you guys have, what we've considered as, oh, we've been abused, is actually been just in their own mind. It's actually not based on substance. It's based on fallacy and deception that has gone in. You know, when I was in high school, well, in middle school, I had a youth group pastor who got arrested for statutory rape. And so when it comes to trusting in leaders, I had a little bit of an issue with that. You can imagine. He was an amazing guy, beautiful wife, gorgeous children. And yet he slept with a small group, uh, not a small group, a youth group member who was underaged. Got caught, got arrested, and was in prison. During that time, about half the church, literally half the church left because of that situation. And our youth group that was thriving at the time, you know, maybe 30 young people dwindled down to three. And all three people were only, the only reason why they remained in the church is because we were children of elders in the church. One of the next couple of leaders that took the place of that leader, we had one and then we had another one. That leader, under his leadership, I got, I experienced the Holy Spirit. The first time I experienced the power of God actually wasn't at New Philly. It was back in New York when I was about 15 years old. And I got hit with the power of God so powerfully. But that same year, as much as I got hit with God, I got hit with a slew of just temptations. You know, I got hit with the power of God, but that year I started stealing. That year I started being promiscuous. That same year I drank for the first time. You know, like I got involved in all sorts of things. It was like the same year I got hit with the fire of God was the same year I just opened up the door to all this sin. Because I got hit with the fire, but I didn't know how to keep the fire burning. And my youth pastor at the time was so frustrated with the youth group kids because we got hit with the fire. But we were just letting it all kind of slide. And we were turning back to our old ways. And he preached a very, a very raw message to us one Sunday. And he asked us point blank. He said, who in here is not willing to change? Like, who in here will not change, will not turn from their ways? And in my mind, you know what I was thinking? I was such an arrogant little teenager. And I thought, well, if I raise my hand right now, and then I'm basically saying that I'm definitely going to change, which I'm not really sure of because who knows? You know, I don't want to lie here. So I can't raise my hand to that question. I don't know what I was thinking, but in my mind, I was so right, you know? 
And he was like, who in here is going to commit to change? And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to commit to change. I can't promise something I can't promise. And so I didn't raise my hand. And there was a couple of people that didn't raise their hand. And he looked at us who didn't raise their hand and he said, get out. So if you're not willing to change, then leave. What are you doing here? What's the point of you coming to church? He straight up rebuked us. And I walked out there staring at him. And then we sat at a table right outside of the service. And we listened in on the message. And whenever he said something good, we shouted, amen. You know, because we wanted to prove that we were spiritual despite what just happened. And he got so angry, he came out and he said, I thought I told you to leave. Don't even listen to this message if you have no desire to change. So I sat there so upset, so infuriated, so angry. This abusive leader, how dare he talk to us like that? That I started my own Bible study. (laughs) And I gathered, me, I wasn't even the oldest, me and my you know, arrogance. I was like, you know what? If he doesn't want us to listen to this message, then let's read the Bible on our own. I was so defiant. And I sat and I, let's open up the scriptures. And I straight up led a Bible study in another room in the same church where we got kicked out. And that weekend we had a youth group barbecue and he was there. And man, I was just burning with anger against him because I was so Felt like we've been wronged. I was so convinced that he was wrong and I was right. I was so convinced that what he did was out of order. I was so convinced that he was a terrible leader. I was so convinced that that he was inadequate to lead us. That I had this anger raging inside of me. And we had this barbecue, swimming pool barbecue. And he was sitting there and he was talking to the other people that that left. And a lot of them were Korean natives. So, like, the reason why they left was they didn't understand the question, right? So he was like, oh, you know, Aaron, come here. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, I'm talking to all these people here, and I'm, and I'm realizing the reason why they walked out or the reason why they didn't raise their hand was they misunderstood what I was trying to tell them. Well, what about you? And I'm like, I didn't misunderstand anything. Straight in the face. I was like, what, 15 years old? My youth group pastor. And I confronted him then and there. And I said, how dare you treat us like that? This is in front of everybody. Oh, but I thought I had the right. I thought I had the right. And so I confronted him dead on, straight on. I was like, how dare you talk to me like that? How dare you kick people out? Who do you think you are? Like, I just straight up confronted him, and I was so angry, I started to cry. And it's like the worst time to cry because I'm trying to come off all strong. But I was like, (sighs) who do you think you are? And like, he was just bewildered. He didn't know what to do. And I just straight up, he started to rebuke me in front of everybody. And I just walked out. I was like, yeah, you want to talk like that? And I left. And I went into the bathroom and I cried and I just cursed every curse word I knew (laughs) against him. And I left the party. Did you know that for the longest time, I actually thought that in that scenario, that was an example of an abusive leadership? I had no sight, I had no understanding that what I had actually done was so against the Lord's heart 
That what I actually did grieved the spirit so bad that the example that I'm sharing you with you right now is not an abuse of leadership. It was actually an example of a critical spirit turned haywire. Like a critical spirit with gasoline all over it, lit on a match, like I blew up. And I had such a grudge and unforgiveness towards that leader that for the rest of that year, every message that he preached, I didn't get a single blessing from it. I shut my heart completely, thinking that I was in the right. Why? Because how could he kick us out? You know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that tactic, but all I know is whether what he did was okay or not, I didn't have the right to treat him like that. You know, we say, I want to confront our leaders for the sake of, you know, letting them know that what they did was wrong. But you got to check your heart. You got to check your attitude. You got to search your own heart. We're so quick to accuse our leaders and so slow to check our own heart motives. We got to switch that around. God, check my heart first. If you have a qualm or if you have a, a, you know, something where you're dissatisfied with your leader or you have a genuine thing that where your leader has hurt you, then pray about it. Don't just go guns blazing, accusing them, but pray, sit, Lord, search my heart first. God, keep me in the place of humility. God, I want to understand and respect the authority that you placed. And if God continues to speak, get advice from other leaders, get counsel. Whatever it may be without, actually, don't get advice if you're going to pull their stuff out in the open. But, you know, seek the Lord's counsel first. Search your own heart first. And if you feel led, I still got to let them know about this. Then make sure you approach them with humility and understanding. Some of our problems, it doesn't even need to be solved by confrontation. The only thing that needs to be dealt with is your own heart about the matter. Once you deal with it in your own heart, you'll realize, oh, I don't actually need to confront them at all. I find myself in complete peace again. See, God tests us when it comes to our leaders. That's why he puts leaders that seem inadequate. He tests us through leaders. That's why he uses the weak things, the foolish things, because he's testing our heart. Because your ability to trust leaders is in direct correlation to your ability to trust God. The moment you say, I can't trust my leader, what you're actually saying is, God, I can't trust who you put in place. The moment you say, I can't trust my small group leader, you're saying, God, I can't trust this person that you put in place. When you you criticize your small group leader, do you know who you're criticizing? You're criticizing Pastor Christian and myself. Why? Because we've appointed them in that position. Psalm 75, verse 6 to 7 says, for not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Who executes judgment? God. It is God who judges. You see how... The critical spirit works. It is trying to steal the blessings from your own life. It's trying to rob you of breakthroughs that you've been contending for. You know, some of you guys have been praying so hard for something, but you've been treating your leaders with contempt, and you're wondering why things aren't getting answered. We got to check our attitudes. 
So then what do we do? I told you earlier, we got to protect. We got to protect what's sacred. We got to protect what's valuable. How do we protect ourselves from the critical spirit? Well, number one, we got to acknowledge that it exists. We can't be arrogant in thinking, yeah, you know, I'm never going to be critical. This is never going to be a temptation. No, you got to understand that it's a real temptation that's going to come. You got to guard yourself against it. You got to acknowledge that it's there and protect yourself from allowing it to come in by taking every thought captive. Some of us know what we're thinking is wrong, but we let it run rampant. Why? Because it feels good. It feels good to judge people, doesn't it? It feels good to judge your leaders. It's feel, it feels good to point out the flaws. It makes you feel better about yourself. But you can't trust in what feels good. We got to learn how to have self-control. Proverbs says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. When we don't have self-control about our thought life towards our leaders, we've been broken into. You and I have just been robbed So many people want guidance and clarity about their future. And they're wondering why they're so confused when they're thinking about it. When in reality, it's because they've given no authority to their leaders to speak into it. Or what their leaders have said, you've second-guessed. And you wonder why you're confused. You wonder why things are cloudy. You wonder why things aren't working out. I'm telling you, it's because we've allowed the critical spirit to come into our hearts and rob us. We have to protect our minds. Nephili, this needs to be a house that makes no allowance for the critical spirit. It's destructive in nature. It's a very manifestation of the devil himself. You and I can't be accusers of our leaders. We don't have the authority. We don't have that right to accuse our leaders. But we have to be ones that bless our leaders, to honor our leaders above where they're at to pray for our leaders, to submit to our leaders, to believe in our leaders. Why? Because we can trust that God is the one who placed them above us. You know what brings promotion in this house? It's not strength. It's not knowledge. And it's not gifts. You can have all three of those things in abundance, but you won't be promoted in this house. What promotes you here is simple, your heart of obedience. When you have a heart of obedience, when you have a heart of submission, when you have a heart of trusting in your leaders, even when you don't understand, even if you don't agree, you still choose to trust your leaders because you know that their hands are in God's. Because you know that God is holding them accountable. You don't have to wait, carry that burden of making sure that they're doing what's right or wrong. When you understand the order, when you have that obedience, that's what promotes you. It only is someone who can submit under authority that can steward authority. But we have so many people in the church that complain why they haven't been activated Because they're so gifted, and they know so much, and they're so strong in these areas. Well, let me ask you this. How strong have you been in submission? How strong have you been in honor? How strong have you been in those areas? Because to the Lord, that means so much more. Whether it's a leader that's in this church, or whether it's a leader from a previous church, 
Maybe you've had an amazing experience here at New Philly. I hope, my prayer is that you've had an amazing experience with the leaders here. But when we don't properly deal with our bad experiences with leaders in the past, you bring that baggage in here. You carry that with you. Maybe it's not your spiritual leaders, but you haven't been able to trust your own parents. You've had terrible experiences with your teachers. You've had experiences with your bosses, other people in authority, and it's shaken you to the core to be able to fully trust the leaders of this house. And you've been so quick to criticize your own, you know, criticize your parents. I was so good at criticizing my parents. Being so overly critical. I know better than them. I'm more spirit-filled than them. They don't know about this, or they're a non-believer, or this and that. Whatever excuse you can come with yet, With that critical spirit, even towards our parents, you have to be careful because it blocks the flow of life to you. My goal here today is to completely root out the critical spirit in our hearts. Whether it's from the past, whether it's recent, whether it's something that you might struggle in the future, today it's done. And I want to give you guys an opportunity to properly respond to some of the things that you've been going through. And so I want you guys to just close your eyes with me.